Hello, welcome to Care to Share. You may be familiar with the idea that the personal is political. This is a podcast where the personal is clinical. I'm Jesse Greenfield, and I'm really glad you're here. Usually, I'll be facilitating dialogues between providers and receivers of healthcare, but for this first episode, I'm participating. That way, you'll be able to see where the person creating this whole project is coming from. In this dialogue, I speak with Arielle Watrous, a nurse practitioner who works at Tufts University Health Services, which is where I go to school. And we talk about what it's like to be a young person receiving health care and what it's like to provide care to people who are learning how to navigate this confusing system for the first time on their own. Enjoy. Jesse Rose Greenfield. That is my full full given name. I'm a senior at Tufts University. I am studying biopsychology, women's gender and sexuality studies, and public health communications. And that kind of is like my whole world at this present moment. I do improv at the university and I'm a tutor. I like lead a creative writing group for children. Um, which is something I That's love so cool. dearly. Thank you. I love it so, so much. They're really brilliant. They know so much about this world. I am a very white Jewish woman. And about a year ago, I got a concussion. And that has like been a big like mark of my experience, just like as a person in the world. And have been getting a lot of migraines ever since then and even before. And just like that has also just really affected the way that I exist in the world. Like, I consider myself a very social person. I, like, love to be with others and be, like, outside anytime I can. But pretty recently, with the cold, dark weather, which for some reason is just a migraine monster, Mm, just the weird barometric pressure migraines and how my brain can tell when the weather is changing. And the weather hasn't been predictable recently. Yeah, it's been really bad. It's bad. I feel kind of awesome that I can feel it in my own body (laughs) and I feel like a superhero, but also it's horrible. And so I guess that's where my health experiences lie. Mm-hmm. And like I've been seeing a lot more doctors, a lot of neurologists, a lot of different specialists and have had super weird interactions, which is kind of where this project was birthed. Kind of questioning to myself and to like my family members and my friends, like this is super weird how I feel like I can't talk to anyone about what's going on or I feel like I've been shut down in ways or like... I just had a really great experience, mm-hmm. and that was so shocking. Oh, yeah. Or, like, something like yeah. that. But also, I just found that people were not used to talking about that, or, like, I felt like I didn't have language to communicate. Right. What you needed. And what, what was, or needed. what was successful. Yeah, or, yeah. like, what felt yeah. appropriate right, to right, say. And right. so, I guess that's kind of where I'm coming from in, like, coming to this conversation with as, like, a person with a rocky brain who studies brains, which has been really interesting and really cool because my professors kind of get it. They're like, oh, you have a concussion and migraines? That's really bad because I'm a neurologist and I know. And I know what that means. Right. 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 Yeah. So it's it's been an interesting That's journey. A lot. And yeah. I'm ready to chat about it. Awesome. <laughs> I'm excited to hear more about it. Yeah. So I liked how you framed your intro in the, you know, how you exist in this world. Like, what is your, who are you in this human in, exists in the world? So my full name is Arielle Leora Watrous, and I also think that the middle name is important. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love my middle name. It's a good um, one. I, I feel like I have a lot of components that I exist in in this world. I'm a nurse practitioner, so I'm a medical provider. I've been doing this for almost 
eight years. I went to a nursing program in Boston, and before that was running an HIV and prevention, HIV testing and prevention and family planning, aka birth control, Mm -hmm. um, program at a health center for disenfranchised and homeless youth. And I was there for three years before I was like, I have to do more. Like I, I, I was, I was hungry. I wanted to, to be able to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, my first job out of nursing school was at Fenway Health, which, if you're not familiar, is an LGBT community health center with a national and international reputation at this point, which is really awesome. And I worked specifically on HIV prevention studies, like on all these various biomedical studies, and it was super amazing. But I kind of my scope of practice was really narrow very quickly out of nursing school. And I was like, I need to do more. But I already had this niche set of skills around sexual health and then found a job here at Tufts. And I've been here for almost six years. And I love it. Yeah, it's crazy (laughs) that I've been here that long, but it's been flying by. I'm also a parent. I have two young boys. So I have experience as a consumer of health in this world as a parent, as a pregnant person, as a, and I'm putting this in quotes in air right now, an obese (laughs) um, Mm. pregnant person, which is a very different experience than for folks who don't fit the clinical criteria for very overweight. Um, And also just being a health provider who has health needs sometimes and kind of, you know, talking about your ability to identify with your instructors, your professors, they can identify what you're talking about. It's sort of like, I know sometimes what's going on, but I can't be my own provider. Mm. And I have my own health anxieties, right, as a, as a human. And so how do I relay those as a provider to, to my provider without making it a weird gray space? Or like even for my family, like, you know, being mm. not being a health provider for yeah. my family, but having health knowledge. So that's kind of me in a bit of a nutshell. Whoa. Great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That was a lot of awesome information. <laughs> oh, I have so many questions. Go for um, it. <laughs> Well, first, like you said, you have so many different perspectives that maybe overlap and Mm -hmm. intersect in many ways. Do you feel like having that knowledge has helped you communicate better with providers where you're like trying to advocate for yourself or your family? Do you feel like you have an in because you maybe know certain language? Oh my gosh, what a great question. You know, honestly, (laughs) yes. It's super interesting. So I, at times, um, have had to call like an on-call provider for my children Mm -hmm. and I will deliberately speak certain ways mm. so they get the code that I am a medical provider. And that, and I'm also very upfront with them. I'm like, look, I work in college health. I'm familiar with what concussions look like in this population. I don't know what it looks like in a three-year-old. Let's clear it. Like, wow. And that they know that they can kind of start at a different starting point for me. I mean, there's a term medical ease, right? Yeah. Like it's, it is an unfortunate component, but it's also a strength if you know how to use it. But I think people sometimes who don't have that jargon down still have plenty that they can appropriately share with their provider, but I don't think the providers can always hear it because Mm. it's not presented a certain way. It's a weird back and forth. I don't think it's a complete like X plus this equals this, you know, but yes, I do think that that is a strength sometimes, but it's also detrimental because I do have a lot of knowledge that sometimes if I am concerned about something in my health, like for example, in my pregnancies, sure. 
I saw a lot of different pregnancy outcomes in nursing school, so I know what things can happen. Right. And I had to make an agreement with my husband to not research certain things, <laughs> you know, because I was, I knew, I knew what could happen. And I was yeah. like, I just can't live in that space. I had to be just a pregnant person and not a provider. Whoa. And I had to really, ooh, I had to really separate that space. Did you feel like that was accessible? Could you separate that? It took work, honestly. Yeah. It did. And I, I will share that. Um, before my pregnancy with my, my older kiddo, I did have a miscarriage mm. and that set a stage as any human who's been through that experience of pretty intense anxiety. So it was really yeah. hard for me to not research things because I was so scared. So I had to work through that. And I was very fortunate that I had a midwife who met me in that anxiety and worked through it with me. So yeah, having some other provider in some other capacity. Who could hear me, right. Who, like, was a good emotional support. Yes, and was not phased by the fact that I was anxious, that it wasn't it wasn't mm. wrong, right? It wasn't a bad thing, that it was just something I had to work through. Because I feel like it is <clears throat> a bad thing, maybe sometimes, to be anxious in medical settings. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like whenever I'm really nervous, I mean, then it makes me forget the thing that I came in to talk about. Absolutely. Or I get redirected, or just it feels like there's no time for me to be nervous, because there's yeah. so much going on. Right, and sometimes someone's anxiety can completely unintentionally overshadow mm. what they're there for. And sometimes the provider will respond to what's most prominent. And it's, if it's the anxiety, it can, it, it can actually make it hard for both people to meet in the middle because it's so strong. Whoa. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means how do we – and it can be hard. It takes time, right? Like I'm thinking about the settings here at Tufts where mm. if somebody comes in and they're in crisis because of a health thing, but then there's also some serious anxiety going on. How do you navigate that? to get to that person so you can help them. And I can imagine just based off of things that I've learned in like my biopsych training and also just like articles I've read that anxiety is probably one of the main things that people will come in for physical medical Mm -hmm. reasons. How do you try to deal with that and also the other health issues going on? It's a really good question. It's, uh, it can be challenging. Yeah. I'm thinking in the context here, certainly one of my favorite parts about college health Um, are the ebbs and flows of the semester. Mm. So we can see certain types of illness. We were talking before, right? Like it's flu season right now. Right. Um, And we're seeing certain manifestations of that and we have to help with that. And if somebody presents with, who's very clinically sick, so physical symptoms like fever and whatever the components of their illness are, and also anxiety, they're more often than not linked. And if you can start to reduce one, it can help you reach the other one. Mm. So one of the first things that I, I don't know if they do this in med schools. I know they do it in nursing schools, but one of the first things they teach us is you can't fix everything in one visit. Yeah. Don't try to, but that doesn't mean that you can't address everything. And so sometimes students will come in and they have what we call like a list or, you know, multiple issues of things that are going on. And a lot of times they're all connected mm. and it's just giving the person that space to just unpack it. You know, like I walk in a room and I'm like, how can I help you? What's going on today? And I just let them talk. And sometimes just being able to verbally unpack it will reduce the anxiety to get down to the reason that they're there or mm. the cause of the anxiety and the reason that they're there because they're not always the same thing. That's so refreshing to hear because <laughs> that is so just like generally not, like I was saying earlier, yeah. not really been my experience yeah. at all. Like especially as a college-aged person going into like a university health setting so much of it I feel like is oh it's a busy time in the semester are you sure you're not just stressed I don't know like valid questions to ask during final season are you getting enough sleep great question right 
But but can also feel like a shutdown. I feel that frequently. I'm just like left in the hands of whoever I'm being passed to. And that, <laughs> what you just described, is really upsetting because I think that for a, stu- a student or a patient or an individual to have to repeatedly tell their story over and over again to somebody new yes. is exhausting and can definitely feed into not feeling heard and not feeling supported. Mm-hmm. I mean, we at Tufts, we really try to kind of maintain continuity with with certain students like if they want to see that same provider we really try to support that um, because there is a strength to and a benefit to that to a provider kind of knowing the full story yeah I had mono the end of last semester during final season I just thought I was tired but something felt extra bad Mm -hmm. something was like this is really wrong also everyone I know is extremely ill right I feel like there are two things that are adding up but then I went to go see someone, and they were like, no, you're just burnt out, whatever, and was totally shut down and went home, went to another provider at home who also told me that I was just burnt out, but I, like, begged for a mono test, and it came back positive. And so it, like... Oh, that's hard. And I always question, like, is it because I'm young, and people are like, she doesn't know. She's only lived in her body for, like, 22 years. Like, she fully... Substantial amount of time. really a long time. Yeah. <laughs> That's been kind of the power dynamic of, like, walking into a room. Because until recently, I was a minor. Right. And that's a whole added dynamic. Yeah. With having a parent in the room. So, yeah, I'm never sure if it's like, oh, it's just because they think I'm young. Or maybe this is just the way that most communication happens. Right. You know, it's hard. It's hard. I can't definitely... I really can't speak to, like, how other providers will approach these questions, right? Like I can presume things based on what people have shared with me. Yeah. But I think that sometimes our brains and and by our brains, I mean human brains, we want the easy, the obvious, right? We're looking for the, clearly it's this. And sometimes in medicine, we're presented with a scenario and you have to go through what we call the differential. So when somebody Mm -hmm. is presenting symptoms, we go through a list in our head. This is how we've been trained to like come up with what are the possible causes for this? And in some circumstances, and I, you know, can't speak to how busy it was at the different clinics that you went to or whatnot, that list stays very short, right, in our heads. And we have to kind of, and more often than not, it's usually a very obvious, very common thing. Mm -hmm. What's, What's interesting about your story is that in college health specifically, it, it's kind of known that we're mono experts right? because we see it so frequently and we see all of the different ways it can manifest that when somebody comes in and, and has that kind of story, you know, you really have to kind of suss it out and make sure in some cases, specifically in a mono, it may have been too early, like in yeah. the timeline that you've had the symptoms to test for it. So again, I can't speak to that, that component of it, sure. but it's interesting because I think this isn't just for medical providers, but we certainly anchor onto things that we're like, well, it's obviously this, this is the most clear thing. And context goes a long way. So it can be really hard to pull ourselves out of that space long enough to be like, wait, this person seems like they're very, you know, self-aware and articulate. Mm. And they've been, how long have you been sick? You know, like kind (laughs) of like being like, wait a minute, you know, and like there are components of an exam, physical exam that may or may not support it. But it's hard. Well, I think that's been the most frustrating thing, at least for me in navigating things is like, trying to provide context or providing the context that I feel is really relevant, but is maybe like a different goal. Like the goals of my provider are different. Like they want different things. Like I went to a neurologist because I had a 20 day long migraine, oh, which was really too long. That's too long. <laughs> um, and so I like finally got an appointment with my neurologist 
And she was like, all right, start five years ago. And I was like, no, I want to start 20 days ago. Mm-hmm. Something is different now than it was. I'd Maybe if it was more more transparent, maybe if I knew why we had to go back to my history five years ago that I've already shared with her. I don't know. I guess it just feels frustrating when that the context that you were talking about that is so important maybe feels shifted. And you mentioned the power dynamic. I think that very traditionally as consumers, right, as patients of health need health care, I don't feel that the message is one of empowerment. And I'm speaking as my own, as a person of, of consumer health. So, for example, in that context, right, what would have happened if you had said, all right, I'm, t- I'm here because I've had a 20-day, like, why do we need to go back that far? Can you tell me what your agenda is right now? Because mm. I am in a lot of pain. You didn't do anything wrong, right? Like, there's nothing you did yeah. that was wrong in that space, but it's sort of like, I, I wonder what would have happened. Like, would the provider have been responsive to that or been defensive, right? Like, I'm thinking about a context where I saw a specialist and I thought I was doing an amazing job explaining my history. And she kept interrupting me hmm. and not listening. And I had made sure to get all of my records sent ahead of time. She hadn't looked at them. Mm. And so I was starting from, from ground one, step one with her. And she, halfway through the conversation, clearly had already made up her decision about what was going on. And I was like, didn't hear me? Right. What? Right. Like, yeah. Like what's yeah. most important to you wasn't even wasn't, mentioned. Or... No. Yeah. Hmm. And was very dismissive of my theories of what I thought was going on. Didn't care that I was a medical provider. And I was oh. just like, okay, we're not coming back here. That sounds you know? so frustrating. It was so frustrating. As, as someone who is on the other side of that, right? And yeah. having and being in that space where I'm trying to, it's detective work sometimes, like try to kind of figure out somebody's health mystery or just being in a space with somebody who's sharing something really vulnerable or intense, like that can be really sacred and you need to really respect that and, and respect what people are telling you. Yeah. And it can be really hard to not jump in, but I find great benefit as a medical provider, just letting people talk. I was yeah. going to say, do you think those experiences that you had when you weren't able to fully share your full story with your provider or like that experience you just spoke about do you think that has informed the way that you communicate with your own patients? I do. I also think that generally the modeling I was given in my training was one of, and also my personality, I think, plays mm-hmm. a little bit into it, of just, just tell me why you're here. And let's start there. Because usually in that story is, is enough for me to kind of be like, okay, let's hone in, you know, on yeah. what's going on. But yeah, every time I've had a really shitty clinical experience, I'm like, noted. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Not to do yeah. that. Never do that. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. sounds helpful. Yeah. Because it's, it's so hard. The immediate shutdown or even like maybe a few interruptions can really set the tone for a whole interaction and for a whole, I don't know, appointment mm-hmm. that you have. I don't know. It's also really weird to be a college student receiving healthcare because I'm not from here. I'm mm-hmm. from San Diego. Mm-hmm. We're at Tufts right now in Massachusetts, which is very far away. And yes. so <laughs> it's a lot of like when I'm home, I see like my primary care provider and I don't even really know who that is anymore because right. I'm gone so much that maybe my other providers will move or I don't know, something happens in the time that I'm gone. So working through a lot of different networks. So I needed to go see someone and my primary care provider was out of town. So my parents were like, oh, we'll just send you to the person that we've been seeing for like our whole lives. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. We probably trust this person and like value what they have to say. Um, 
And so I got there and maybe because she knew my parents for so long and had this idea of me, even the like intro questions she was asking me to check in with my medications or check in with my just general health were so awful. She was kind of scrolling through her computer and not making eye contact with me and was like, all right, so you're 22, you uh, don't drink, you don't smoke, you, oh, you look healthy, like you probably don't even have to go to the gym to exercise. And Whoa. I was like, all of these things are so wrong. And it just, that already set the tone for I'm me to I'm just getting like, like tense right now. Right now yeah. Like, How do you look at me and be like, you don't do this? And she oh, like wow. continued, oh, I see that you're on birth control. Like, do your parents know who's the boy? And I was like, I can't speak with this woman there are so many assumptions most of which were wrong yeah and I was like how am I tell like how am I telling her now that like this is not relevant for you to be asking me mm-hmm. like I'm not having sex with men I'm not doing mm-hmm. this I'm drinking mm-hmm. whatever like because mm-hmm. I it felt really it felt really judgmental and wrong and just you know and it, a piece of that like that's very upsetting I think if I'd been in that setting my jaw would have been on the floor and been like are you kidding <laughs> me right ridiculous now? I'm just thinking about the bigger picture and this is by no means a defense, but I think Mm. that, and this is obviously could be its its own episode, but just the structure in this country of healthcare and the expectation of the amount of people that Mm. providers will see and all of the requirements that providers have. And I'm, I'm speaking kind of outside of college health. College health is a unique space where a lot of these don't really apply directly. Yeah. But just for insurance claims and all of that like I could see the rationale in quotes right now for this provider besides feeling maybe familiar because knowing your parents would be to just to go fast and just get the basics but you're also describing a context where somebody wasn't listening or asking any questions like it was mm-hmm. just sort of like these rhetorical bullets which sound very uncomfortable to to be the, yeah. the recipient of it, but it it was just confusing. And yeah. Like how, like, how am I supposed to have this right. good conversation and move forward with actually speaking about what I'm here for? And, right. Yeah. Right. No, that's not inviting. That's not an inviting space. But also, I think, yeah, what you were saying is really valuable, like, the potential reasons why this could have happened. And, like, that's why this not project... Not an excuse. Yeah. Right, right. But, like, that's also yeah. why I want this project to exist, because I could go on and on about, like oh, it's so crazy how this person never, like, made eye contact with me, but there's also a chance that maybe she's not familiar with the new computer system that the hospital just implemented, and she's looking at the computer because she's like, I don't know. Right. Giving the perspective of a provider who has been in situations where you're really rushed or Mm -hmm. you're really whatever, like, getting that mindset is very helpful and helping me maybe not feel the best, but, like, still feel better. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, though, too, because at this point, as a provider, right, I need to document everything that we talk about. Mm. And so, and that's legally a requirement that we make sure that everything that we are reviewing is is documented. Yeah. Depending on the context of the conversation, I will either be going back and forth visually between my screen and the person and the typing. Yeah. Or in very specific situations, I just don't type anything and I just listen and take very few notes because it's something really significant. I'm thinking like sexual assault or something really upsetting happens or something really intense that they need to kind of review or if it's someone who we're about to do their first exam of their genitals and they've never had that exam before and they have medical or or, um, sexual trauma in their past like I'm not going to be sitting there typing while we while we talk but I have to make sure that I am writing notes in some context just so I have that for later yeah so it's weird 
That sounds really tough when people are talking about really sensitive things, but maybe that's more salient anyway, and you'll probably remember after. Yeah, and usually I just feel like at that point, it's really just important that they feel safe and heard, and I just do what I can to make sure my notes reflect that. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> I feel like, especially, well, especially as, like, this is a really weird age to be a human person. That's like the quote of the day right there. <laughs> so, so weird. I feel like a lot of times I'm like empowered to be an adult person mm-hmm. who gets to have, gets to speak up and gets to mm-hmm. like do things. But also there's so many times where I'm not, not heard in spaces. So like yeah. having someone who's listening to like something really salient or personal or emotional is like very helpful. I think you're, you're addressing a component of college health that I I absolutely love. And when people ask about where I work, I get jokes from folks who don't have any context. Um, you know, oh, is it just pregnancy tests and strep tests? And I'm like, that's mm. hilarious. <laughs> Not even a little bit remotely true. Yeah. Um, but what, what I do love and what I explain to them after my snarky response to that joke is always, <laughs> look, this is an amazing time for the individuals I work with because it's usually for most of them the first time that they are at a point where they're developing their own health autonomy. Mm. Because up until then, you said it before, right? Like you were, you were a minor fairly recently, and that was the context of your medical care yes. for the majority of your time on this earth so far. That will change as you get older. And someone else was navigating that for you, or mm. someone else's, like multiple people. And very infrequently is that not the case. Like people usually are coming in, young people are usually coming in, and they don't know how to you know, navigate this and advocate for themselves. And so for me, as a provider in this setting, I love helping students do that. It's one of my favorite parts because it's really like what, what, what's the context that they would have before to know how to do that? Right. They don't have it. Opportunity, you know, like, let's do it together, you know, and it can be yeah. a big learning curve for both the provider and also the student but it's such a great time. Like, it's so exciting. And, and for me, I, I know you know this from our conversations outside of the space, but, like, I do a lot of sexual health mm-hmm. outreach and education on, on the campus. And that's really where it comes from. It's just health autonomy. Like, I want people to own their bodies and, and know their bodies and feel safe with their bodies. Like, let's, let's do it, you know, in any way that we can. kind of came in with the reputation as being someone who was very sexual health savvy. And I didn't realize at the time that that wasn't baseline because it was something mm. I talked about all the time. Yeah. And then serendipitously, my first job was in sexual health again. And so it just kind of became this very obvious trend. And I, again, I forget sometimes that it's not how everyone was trained and it wasn't the clinical structure that everybody had. Yeah. So it's been a really interesting opportunity for me to invite people into a space where it's streamlined, where it's just like, we're just going to talk about this or we're just going to educate about this because it's a component of someone's body that I don't want them to be scared of. But people are so scared. So scared. So hard to talk about. And I'm studying like health communication and kind of the whole essence of it seems to be getting people to talk about things they super do not want to talk about. But you do that every day. Yeah. And and, and it's like they don't want to, but they need to. And I think... The stigma, I cut you off, sorry. No, Were you gonna, yeah, I'm yeah, oh, sorry. Just, no, I was just, yeah, curious. Yeah, I, I mean, 
It's so interesting because it's so universal. One of the things that fascinates me the most with specifically around sexual health is regardless of age and regardless of gender and regardless of sexual orientation, there are still the same gaps around the same things and the same fears and normalizing the curiosity around that is so empowering and letting people just have the space to ask these questions changes the game. Kind of talking before about the model of just sort of letting people talk. If I show that I listen, I usually am invited into other questions later. Mm. And that's been a huge asset as a provider for me. And you feel like that's allowed people maybe to open up to you more than for they sure. would have just because you're you're just there and present and listening. Yeah, to them. And, and that I mean and that's not just for a medical space. I mean in any context where someone's invited to just be heard and listened to, I think that there's so much power there. But I don't think kind of culturally and structurally we support that all the time. Yeah. And I think in the health arena it's it's particularly upsetting. Well, and I think it's it speaks to like the fact that people also don't really talk about it with their friends. Like I feel like if if everyone is having the same question, how can they not Right. Like no but nobody's met up and spoken right. about it because they are too afraid or it's too yeah. taboo or there's all this yeah. weird stuff. So I'm sure you get the same questions that were submitted yeah. to this program yeah. over, oh, and over, over and over again. over and over again. I love it. I don't get tired of it. Right, yeah. but, it, it but it's so strange to me and yeah. frustrating as someone who's a sure. very, I'm very open and love to talk about yeah. all things that are whatever. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's also just because of my personality and the fact that I'm interested in health communication and like, why aren't people talking about this? And I, yeah, so I guess it's, it's wonderful that you're inviting people to speak about it and maybe that'll hopefully influence them to I hope so spread the will but a, a big component of what you're what you just asked like why aren't they talking about it there is so much structurally set up in how people are presented mm. the context of you know sex in quotes up to the point where they're needing to talk about it yeah um in their families in their uh spiritual communities in their culture, like it's, it's, those are huge components that will determine how someone can, feels that they can talk about it. I gave a, I did an outreach event a couple of years ago at one of the cultural centers here on campus. And we were talking, the, the kind of the context was, how do we talk about sex when we can't talk about sex? And sort mm. of what were the, what are myths that we were culturally presented or things that we were encouraged to believe around sex? growing up and it was fascinating people wrote down on post-its things that they were told about sexuality and we put them up on the wall and we just kind of walked through all of them and a lot of it I think in some cases comes from fear um, and trying to protect and that idea of protecting with absence of knowledge yeah I have yet to see that work <laughs> in any any health component any yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a big reason why. And, like, it's it can be very uh, overwhelming to kind of step through that space if you're not used to it. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine in working with people who have different identities from you and live and grew up in different contexts where maybe sexuality is spoken about in a different way or not spoken totally. about at all. How do you navigate those types of interactions with just people with really different identities? Yeah, it's an incredibly hard space to be. And then as a provider... You really want to make sure that you are presenting and, and accepting yeah. of every component of the spectrum you just yeah. The fear is that if I ask somebody if they're suicidal and they say yes, then what do I do? 
Right. And it's sort of like if I ask someone about something that I feel very overwhelmed by, what do I do then? Mm. And it's like you listen (laughs) and you get more information and you take any opportunity you can to train on it beforehand. But that can be a big piece as to why providers don't ask about certain things because they just don't have the training to support the next steps. Well, again, it sounds like that, like the absence of knowledge is easier, but doesn't seem to work out as well. No, it's kind of like a time bomb. I feel like it's just a question of when this is going to become an issue. Right. Yeah. So, but actually having the information and, even if maybe you're not the one who can handle it. Like, I guess I am curious, is there, are there structures? Like, if someone came to you and told you something that you were like, uh, this is not my thing, I don't know how to deal with this. Like, are there structures put into place at Tufts or other places that you've worked where you could, like, get support from others? For sure, yeah. I mean, that's another thing, too, is providers need to be comfortable saying, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that right now, but I'm going to help you get it. Yeah. Um, and I do do that. I mean, there are certainly things that students present that I'm just like, wow, this is so new to me, and I want to make sure that we that you get the right care for this. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to check in with my colleagues, and I'll get back to you. And I usually set a timer, like a deadline for myself, and mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, let's uh, let's plan to reconvene on this, or a refer yeah. out to a specialist. If I'm like, I have no idea what to do, <laughs> but I know that person does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to like maybe my experiences with like the power dynamic that I've had with certain providers where they maybe don't feel as comfortable doing that because they're supposed to be this all-knowing, I don't know, mm. like the person with all this training and all this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know, I feel like I've I've had people given me definite answers that have been wrong or they've kind of doubled back and been mm. like, sorry, wait, I really didn't actually mean that. Right. And I feel like that's something that I've been thinking about is like, it's, it's okay to not know, but also that's... It's scary when your provider doesn't know. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And if you're dealing with something significant like a 20-day migraine and you're going in for help and the provider says to you, I don't know, uh, that's demoralizing and completely debilitating. And so, yes, I can confidently say I don't know, but I also have to be aware of what that I don't know means to my patient. And, And that is a hard space to be sometimes, especially for folks who are dealing with something chronic, to be able to figure out a new way to deal with it. Of course. Or yeah. what's the what's the baseline that we're going for? Is the goal of the is the patient's goal for what they want realistic? Is this the right avenue medically to pursue that goal? Like it's it's yeah. It's hard. experiences and like oh I, I tried acupuncture last week and it was the best we should all go together or like something like that right. like we feel like we're going through similar things yeah. and we can have like that as a space which I realize that not everyone has those types of communities to yeah, talk it's, about it's these great. things I'm with. glad you have that yeah thank you it's yeah it's really awesome yeah but I guess I was thinking if there was like a provider equivalent me and these few other people who specialize in so this. I mean I guess I guess I would say that there's definitely I definitely have um, some colleagues nurse practitioners, PAs, and MDs, PAs, physician assistant, MDs, doctor, who are very sex positive and who do a lot of HIV, HIV prevention and do trans work, trans mm. health work, that I just kind of have a, my little quiet group that I will definitely connect with. But it's not like a, a support 
it's not like a network yeah. network. I mean, I certainly have my peers that I, and I have my peers here, right? Like college health is in its, its own entity of, of unique specialized medicine. Mm-hmm. So I do have that, but I think for me, that's for me. And I'm just thinking like, sometimes I just wish my patients could see one of them if they're in a different arena of health, like psychiatry mm-hmm. or something like that. And I, I can't cause they're in a different state or, you know, sure. so like that. So that's sort of where the barrier is for me. But is it is it at least helpful for you as like a human as well as a provider to be like ah oh, community of my peers? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like they're very scattered right mm. now, um, and I certainly have a few people locally who, I guess, I will say speak the same language and see things the same way I do. Right? Yeah. Um, it does feel it can feel a little isolating sometimes because we all and I as you know we all have our own processes going into a space and. I have life experiences that will shape how I respond to someone telling me something about their lives. Mm-hmm. And I have to kind of work through my own space with that. And if I don't have a, prov- a colleague who's had the same experience, they may not understand why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. Yeah. So that can be hard sometimes. But I think we all have that for different reasons. Right. Yeah. Having those networks, I feel like, is huge. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And I do appreciate the colleagues that I can just be like, hey, this, this happened today. I'd be like, I get it. That's really hard. Something that I wish for everyone. I wish that too. I wish that for everyone. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I think this kind of is tying everything together and speaks to what we've been saying before. This like systems are not set up for us to have them, like yeah. to have these kinds of networks. Whenever I'm with my migraine buddies or when I bond with people who also got concussions at the same time that I did, there's definitely no structural support for that. I feel like we all just kind of stumbled upon each other because yeah. we were sitting next to each other in health services holding an ice pack to our oh. heads or something. I mean, that's that's like an yeah, extreme yeah, yeah. cartoon I love, example. I have a great image in my head, though, yeah. <laughs> but, like, having that set up allowed us to build a relationship. But I think going through all of that alone would have been horrible. Mm-hmm. I just I just wish that for more people, that they yeah. could talk about it with others and maybe yeah. find people in the same situation. I mean, there are a lot of, like, online support groups for different mm. things um, that you there's no people don't have a need to find until they're in that space yeah um, I mentioned earlier like the miscarriage I had before I had my my pregnancies and it was mind-blowing to me how many people in my life then said to me I did too mm. and I had no idea until I experienced it and was in the space that I was in where I needed to know that but I hadn't heard it before. And I was yeah. like, what? You know, I didn't need to know it, but it would have been helpful. Did you need support? You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Right. I feel like that's a very common, like, miscarriage narrative specifically. Yes. And, like, now that Michelle Obama wrote about it. I in know. Book, and everyone's, like, people are talking about it, which is great. But also the fact that people never felt empowered to I know. speak before. I know. I was, fl- I was floored. Mm-hmm. I was grateful to know, but I was also just, like, what have you all been doing? (laughs) Have you been talking to each other before? Like, yeah. And just carrying it quietly. And I'm just like, what? Mm. Yeah. Especially when it, yeah, it's like my close friends or people who I felt like I could have provided support to or like. But tying back to like talking about sexual health, I mean, a lot of people, I think with certain friends, I don't think it's a broad spectrum thing, are probably having similar confusions, struggles, questions. True things happening to their body that they're probably like, is this normal? I mean, that term in and of itself, we could un- unpack right. another time. Sure. But, um, yeah, like there's just this, there's this separation around mm-hmm. that. 
Even yeah. just like little body irritations that maybe people don't want to talk about that everyone does. Like, oh, I'm feeling constipated today or I'm right. feeling whatever. Oh. Some people get so, so taboo. upset and yeah. it's so taboo. I was listening. I love podcasts. Here we are. <laughs> um, I was listening to an episode of Call Your Girlfriend. I don't know if you've heard I've heard of it. Of it. I haven't listened to it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. They're phenomenal. It was a whole episode they did on poop. One of their friends or something. Sorry, I'm totally going to butcher this, but here's the concept. of one. Like, one of their friends really never likes to speak about that just does, like totally shuts it out it kind of then casually mentioned something to one of his friends and realized that he had, had rectal bleeding for like 12 years oh which like because his friends were like that isn't that's not right because people maybe don't speak about it or just like yeah. little minor body things yeah we i feel like we could all just be so much happier and healthier if we yeah chatted yeah that's <laughs> Concerning. I hope that person's okay. Me too. Sending good wishes into the world. Please. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there are things that we all kind of have in our lives that we just assume are baseline, and you mention them, and they're like, uh, not normal. (laughs) Nope. That's not healthy. That's concerning. Yeah. Right. But you're right. Yes. Whatever normal is. Right. I'll go with healthy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That. Oh wow. Bad. That's not good. (laughs) I remember I had a book group. This is years ago, Mm. and. It was uh, a bunch of, of cis women, and I genuinely don't know how we got onto the topic of, like, vaginal lubrication and squirting. I don't remember how we got there, but <laughs> we happens. got there. It happens. You know how it is in book club. And, um, <laughs> and so we all started to speculate, like, what is squirting, right? Yeah. Like, what's vag- what is the squirting? And this is before I have all the info I have now. But we were, we were speculating, and then one of the people in the room just kind of spluttered and just turned bright red and was just basically like, I have it and it's fine. And we were like, okay, like no, there was no judgment, but it was just sort of this really funny space where we were all theorizing about something that was this person's regular experience. And we had no idea what we were talking about, but she eventually felt comfortable sharing with us. And it was just very interesting because you just don't know what someone in that space is experiencing. And, None of us knew what was going on, but, but she clearly had ex- some experience with it. Whoa. It was just really funny. Which I, which I think, which is hilarious. It was very funny. <laughs> but also I think, like, so many people can learn so much just if, obviously, if people are comfortable and are wanting to share and if we create right. maybe more spaces where that's, like, right. allowed and appropriate, so much more learning can happen. All of these questions can be answered by people Obviously, like, not everyone's experience of some body thing is right. going to be the same. But, like, hey, this is what it is for me. And, like... Totally. One of my favorite um, examples of that, there's a, a group on campus that we... I've been invited to do, like, educational outreach, sexual health educational outreach. And there was an event for a couple of years. I think we're going to do it again soon, I hope, called Sex in the Dark. And the idea is that we're all kind of... It's a group of people in a room. And people have submitted questions beforehand, and we all have glow sticks, so it's nice and, and fun. And a question came up about, can medication impact your libido? And so I started to answer it. And I started to listen, list, I'm sorry, list all of the different medications besides birth control that can impact libido. And it was amazing. And everyone's just sitting there silently. And all the, and I listed, I think I said at one point, I was like, oh, and yeah, antidepressants. And this voice from the back of the room goes, what? <laughs> and it was clearly something that had Whoa. never been presented to them with the medication that they were on Mm. and it led to an amazing conversation about what's going on with different medications and what it can impact not just libido all these other things 
but like you say, you know, we created that space together and those questions came up because everyone benefited from it. It was very clear, even though it was very quiet, everybody was listening and learning. So it was very powerful. I hope that happens again. I want to go. Oh my God, there's so much fun. Yeah, I hope it happens again too. That sounds awesome. It was so much fun. Yeah. This is a good, like, hopeful way to, I know, yeah. (laughs) Change is happening. To talk about this, change is happening. I guess I feel some individual responsibility to do that, to have those conversations with my friends who obviously are comfortable and not like, Jesse, stop. That's gross. Um, (laughs) Yes. But like, we like have those Consent first, right, for the conversation. Yes, Yes, for sure. But even just being more open, talking about my migraines Mm -hmm. or talking about health stuff. So that they can do the same for me. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's, it's a personal thing, it's too. so good. Yeah, it's uh, important. Yeah. Okay, so it's been 55 minutes. Oh, oh, whoa. big empathetic thank you to Arielle for being on the show and being a constant positive force in the world of collegiate health. Thanks to Caleb Martin Rosenthal for creating the captivating music you heard in this episode, and to Tessa Abaddon for arting our beautiful cover art. If this conversation at all inspired you to want to speak about your own experiences with healthcare, I encourage you to get out there and share. Talk to your pals, chat up your coworkers, your book club, or your given family, or your chosen family. Whatever you decide to do. Thanks for listening to Care to Share.